0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our college panel night for juniors and families. We're super excited. Um, Where should I be looking, by the way? Right there. there. Oh, Hi. Um, We're super excited to have this presentation tonight. We have reps from different colleges here to speak to you. Um, We have a variety of questions we're going to ask them, and um, they will take time to answer them and uh, provide you with information about uh, topics about the application process, about campus life, all sorts of things. So uh, we have a few announcements before we get started. I'm going to let Russ take over.
1: So I'm Russ Aceto. I'm the Fairbanks House Counselor. Um, it's the first time I've kind of done it from this perspective, and I'm realizing that I probably need to do what my dad does and comb my hair forward. Um, so for for students and families... I just want to make sure everybody is aware that ad drop is happening. Um ad drop is happening virtually this week. There was a survey sent out on Monday by Rye Hoffman. Students are encouraged to complete the survey um that way you can avoid the crush of the lines. Next week um part of part of the the reason for doing this is to kick off the opportunity for school counselors and juniors to meet uh, starting in semester two. There have been some of those meetings that have happened um, throughout kind of the end of semester one after the senior process was complete around uh, November 1st and November 15th. But we're looking to start meeting with juniors to kind of follow up on this kickoff meeting, start doing some college searching, maybe start talking about some essays or application support. And speaking of essays, every junior is in either practical writing or writing composition. And one of the one of the uh, assignments, one of the units in there is writing the college at, um, the common app college application essay. Uh, and it's a great opportunity to really do, do that work in a very supported uh, way, get some really constructive feedback from peers, from teachers, from school counselors. And that way, when you start the application process in earnest in the fall, uh, one of the the more stressful components is largely done. Um, And we've had some comments or some questions rather about this. One of the nice things, about hosting the night virtually like this, uh, I know that there's, uh, we miss seeing everybody kind of personally, but this night is recorded and you can come back and click on this presentation and listen to all the silly banter that we all have. Cause we've all done this before, um, at your leisure. So it's not just live tonight and then it goes away. You can, you can come back and, um, rewatch anytime you want. I was searching for the link and just trying to see what was out there, um, from past events that we've done. And I found the 2022 link for this. So I don't know. I didn't watch it, but it's there. Um, so we have, uh, I'm going to let the, our reps introduce themselves. Um, and then we're going to, we're going to get, we're going to get started with the questions. So uh, it's kind of like, um. Uh, I don't remember the name of, I don't remember the name of the show. We're all the square, like Brady Bunch. Um, I'm going to start in the upper left on my screen. So Moses, or we have other nicknames for him tonight with the nice dark suit and the dark lighting, very Godfather-esque. So I want to start in the upper left.
2: I would have gone with Hollywood Squares myself there. Okay. Hollywood Squares. Uh, Good evening, everyone. My name is Moses Murphy, uh, Director of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of Vermont. I've been working uh, in admissions at the university uh, now for 19 years, uh, and I spent a lot of time working specifically with the Vermont students um, have had many geographic territories and and different uh, student populations I've worked with over the years, but primarily focused on uh, our uh, in-state residents um, throughout my career. So happy to be here. Can't wait to dive into any and all questions that folks have.
1: And looking up at Moses, Sam from Middlebury, or Moses looking down on Sam, depending upon
3: perspective? Well, well both of those things are true. I've spent a long time looking up to Moses, and I know he spent a long time looking down at me. Um, hello out there. My name is Sam Prouty. I'm the Executive Director of Admissions at Middlebury College. I've been here about 10 years and excited to answer any questions you all might have.
1: And to Sam's or my right, uh, Kevin.
4: Hi, everyone. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, my name is Kevin Doniu. I am the Assistant Director of Admissions over at Champlain. Um, only been here a couple of months, but Uh, Happy to answer the questions.
5: Yeah. And next is Mr. Kennedy. Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon Kennedy. I'm one of the associate directors at Vermont State University. And I work primarily with uh, early college and dual enrollment students. That's an area that I focus. But I've I've been in admissions for 10 years as well. And I've worked um, with a variety of students. And super glad to get to chat and see you all. Brandon also has company in the same room as him, I think, so. I do. My daughter, Dara, who is five months old, might chime in to, she's going to censor me if I say anything out of line.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm sure she has better answers than I do. Me too. (laughs) All right. And from St. Lawrence.
6: That just leaves me. Hi, everybody. I am Kirsten Larrabee. I am an assistant director of admissions here. Um, and this is my fourth year in admissions, and I graduated from St. Lawrence in 2020. So happy to be here and answer your
0: questions. Excellent. And I didn't get a chance to say who I am. My name is Sarah O'Hare Hughes. I'm one of the counselors in the Chittenden House. Um, I also wanted to mention before we get started with asking um, the questions that we have for the reps um, that we will save time at the end for families and students to um, ask questions, and you can do that in the chat area on the YouTube side, um, or the right side of the YouTube. Um, So if you have questions and wish to um, ask those, you can just put those in the chat section. We will try to make make time for all of them at the end. And one
1: other announcement really quick. I think that I've actually interviewed most of you, except for maybe Kevin, um, for the School Counselor Podcast in one capacity or another and linked in the description for this particular youtube broadcast is um, the cvu school counselor podcast links to spotify and youtube where i interviewed uh, several current cvu seniors and a a past student just to talk about their time here at cvu things that worked really well things that maybe didn't work so well advice they had um but there's roughly 40 different episodes out there or shows out there uh, ranging in topics from how do schools use standardized testing. Uh, We interviewed Seaview teachers around writing the, the college essay. So there's a lot of valuable information out there for students and families around all topics that come out of the Direction Center, everything from scheduling to testing to you name it. We've probably had an episode on it. And if there's something that we're missing, feel free to email me and we'll Put something together um so i think this is a this is a quick one usually pretty pretty fun and it gives some perspective on on the work that these these folks do for for our students every year um i'm curious just to kind of give us a, a little bit of a round robin on how many applications you each personally read um every year starting with
3: sam um uh, tricky question, Pro- probably 1,500, uh, maybe a, maybe a little more. Um, that's partly because of my role in the office, so my eyes are on a little more. But the, av- the average for a person who works here is maybe 1,000. And so um, most of our people will spend five to 10 minutes on every file, uh, sort of on average. And we try to get through um, each. We-, we read in pairs of two. Each pair reads about 65 a day.
2: Moses, you want to go next? Yeah, so I spend uh, much of my time, uh, hours upon hours, in admissions committee reviewing thousands of applications. Um, you know, our our top readers who do our first read, so the application will move through several cycles, uh, including several different committees. Um, but our top first readers will read a- around fifteen or 1,600 applications. Um, uh, you know, again, like, like Sam, I spend most of my time in committee uh, reviewing sort of at the final stage, making those final decisions. Um, But we spend many, many hours, we obviously receive um, you know, many thousands of applications, but we have a, a very large staff, a number of external readers that we hire, hire seasonally uh, to help us with that load. And so um, I think at the core of this question is uh, the amount of time we're able to spend with, with each applicant. And then those applicants go through several stages before rev- uh, receiving a, a decision, um, at first read being that that very first step of the process. Kevin, I
1: know you're new to the process. I'm curious, what your role was this, this application season.
4: Yeah. So I would say probably close to about 800 for me here at Champlain, um, you know, a smaller uh, group of applicants each year compared to a middle Bear and UVM. Um, but it, it's, it's different. It's always you, you read based off of your territory and, and uh, the, the students in that area. So I have Northern Vermont, but it's also kind of the California, Pennsylvania areas that uh, get more applicants. So it's, it's really based off of where, uh, where territory is.
5: Mr. Kennedy. My role is a little bit different too, um, in, in that I work a lot with early college students. So personally this year, I will probably read, you know, upwards of, of 200 applicants for specifically for our early college population. And that would be high school students that are headed into their senior year and going to um, enroll with Vermont State University. Um, but the average reader at Vermont State University is probably reading anywhere between, you know, 500 to 800 applicants um, and we read based a little bit differently. We read based off of academic programs. So some programs have a large influx of applicants and others um, have smaller. So but our on average our counselors probably spend you know a good 25 to 30 minutes on an application to try to really dive into it and get to know them.
6: um i my role is also slightly different my main responsibility is um organizing events so if you come to visit for like an admitted student day or a visit day in the fall those are the things that i organize so i have a smaller um population of students that i read for and i'll probably read 200 to 250 applications um this year and but i would say the average average reader at St. Lawrence probably reads, I don't know, three to four, 500, 600, somewhere in that few hundred range.
1: Um, I, I think as our juniors move into the college search process, we at CVU use Naviance and have found, found it to be a pretty valuable tool for students to be able to compare themselves to former CVU students. And where they have gone to school and um, kind of looking at their academic profile and doing some comparing and contrasting um, confidentially, of course, because names are omitted. Um, but I'm curious if you all have other favorite tools, because I know not everybody likes Naviance or use it, wants to use Naviance. And I'm just curious what you all in your world feel are are resources that reflect institutions. Well, I hear I've, I've used niche in the past I haven't really used it too much. So I'm curious what all else you would, rec- you might recommend.
5: I don't have to call anyone. Oh,
0: anyone can chime in. Yeah.
5: I can go first. Um, I think when I like to think about student enrollment, I think about an enrollment team for yourself um, as the student. And I think the first person who I'm I want to go to or who I'd recommend a student go to on their team is their school counselors um I think they have a wealth of knowledge of um different universities they've known you likely um or they've gotten a chance to get to know you or they they've heard about your goals at least for your future so they might be able to point you in the right direction get you a nice um list I think uh College Board, I think Naviance, all of those tools are are here to support you. I think um, another, you know, great tool to use is your family members, community members, um, you know, people who you trust. Um, to give you an honest opinion of a, of an institution, but then also I think trusting yourself, you know, doing a little bit of research on those search sites is great, but then, um, going and visiting and actually getting a feel for it within yourself is really, um, should be your driving factors, I think.
1: I see a lot of head nodding. Sam, Sam, you just unmuted and you had said that if you didn't have anything to add you
3: weren't going to unmute. So well the truth is I actually don't search for colleges, right? So I and my children aren't old enough to do it yet. So I actually don't really know frankly which are the better search engines out there cuz I don't use them. I'm on I'm on the other side of that. Side. But I will I will say any any search um frankly I don't I don't like the ones that are just all you know John Q. Public giving his opinion, which you know no offense to John Q. Public, but he doesn't he doesn't really know anything about this process. But I'm a big fan of any that um, that helps students expand their lists. So students and families out there, you know, we all know that there are 25 or 50 or 70 sort of f- most famous colleges in America, right? So those are the ones that we think we know. And so if you love Middlebury and you've heard of us, then maybe you've also heard of Williams and Bowden and Amherst and you know that group. To me, the search, so like, I like the Fisk guide as a book or any other search engine that would allow you to identify the traits, right? So what is it that I like about Middlebury? But now what are the other schools out there, maybe the ones I don't even know about yet, that will give me a Middlebury-like experience that might not be you know, the most famous ones that all have a, a 9% admit rate, right? And so I think if you can use the searches to broaden your scope and broaden your lists, um, those are the best ones. I think the worst ones are the ones where some, you know, random parent says, we took a tour here in July and, you know, the tour guide had ugly shoes. So, you know, we would never want to go to school there. That That's obviously not helpful to you.
1: Right. Um. I, this question may have had a little bit more relevance a couple of years ago during during Covid, but I think it's still we're talking about looking for schools and finding schools that that have things that you that really resonate for you. And I think campus visits are a really important part of that. I personally encourage students to get on as many campuses as possible to determine I would really like this. I really don't like that. Um, So how do families go about scheduling campus visits with you all? And what do they what do they currently look like? Are they in person? Are they are you still doing a lot of virtual campus visits?
2: You know, I think the uh, to your questions of sort of the logistics of of scheduling a campus visit, I think, you know, it can be pretty straightforward. That could be as simple as going onto any of our websites, searching visit options, uh, signing up uh, online. Of course, you can go old school and call our office uh, and schedule uh, a campus visit. You know, I think to your, your question about the format, uh, born out of the, the pandemic, our uh, host of virtual options um that, that can range um and and what i would suggest and, and really one of the benefits of those virtual often op- uh options i think um is a level of access that is provided either to those students who are resourced but don't want to fly across the country for a tour or who are um you know lesser resourced and and can't fly across the country um but now the uh, students have the opportunity to be in person i think russ to your point that that's really where the rubber hits the road. I think it's important as you narrow your list to get on the college campuses that you're interested in. Um, I I think of virtual options as being sort of on the front end of this process when you're kind of kicking the tires, trying to figure out the basics of what a school might provide or offer. Those can be virtual tours that are, um, you know, done at your convenience. They're pre-recorded. It could be, um, you know, virtual live programming such as this where you can get information from uh, staff members and current students and things like that. Um, but I think at the heart of this decision is this sort of visceral gut reaction you get to whether or not a school feels right. And in order to get that, I think you you need to you know put boots on the ground, get on campus, interact with faculty, staff and students. Um, and so while out of the pandemic, uh, the virtual space has provided a lot of benefits. Um, I think core to this decision process is is really getting on a campus and, and seeing what feels right. I'd, I'd also like add, to add.
4: Okay. Oh, Go ahead, Kevin. Oh, Yeah, so I mean, I would say also just using the schools in your backyard. Uh, what's nice is, you know, right here, we have different schools, public, large, private, small, liberal arts coming to the campuses that are close to you, get an idea of what you like, you know, if, if that's something you want to look for and then kind of expand your reach out to other schools that have once again, a, a similar vibe that you, uh, that you enjoy.
1: That's what I was going to add. So thank you. Um, all right. So there's a whole list of questions and I hate to do them all in order, but I think, I think there's, good information out there. So maybe we can do some of these a little quicker than others. Um, Letters of recommendation. That's one of the things that students, I had a student in my office asking about them today. Who do you like to see letters of recommendation from and how many should I get? And then as a follow-up, because we always talk about stories that we have heard from our positions as school counselors, from you folks as reps in terms of how many letters of rec. Sometimes you read from a single student. um, Is it good or bad to submit more than the requested number of letters? We always encourage our students, if UVM wants one, don't send them 10. Um, So who do you like to see letters of rec from? How many should the student get? And do you like or dislike more than the requested number?
6: I think this, um, the letters of recommendation varies from school to school, um, which is an important part of when you're looking at colleges and, and deciding to apply, making sure that, um, you know, you have what the school is requesting, um, a lot of schools, like for example, at St. Lawrence, we require two letters of recommendation from teachers that have taught you in the classroom in high school and one letter of recommendation from your counselor. Not every school will require two teacher recommendations um but that's what we have and we we like that because we um we like to get a full picture of who you are as a student in the classroom from various teachers um we also welcome additional letters of recommendation whether that be from coaches or employers or um you know the the person that you volunteer with down uh, down the street or across town or or anything like that. We we welcome those. Um, I would say ten additional letters of recommendation is probably a bit much, um, but but you know one or two it, we'll we'll read them. We we read every single recommendation that that you'll send us, but within reason, um, a, a couple is is fine for us.
5: I think you make a really good point with, like, it can vary from school to school. So at Vermont State University, it not only varies from um, – with school to school, but it varies from, uh, from programs within the school. So many of our programs don't require a letter of recommendation at all anymore. Um, they just require a transcript, but some of our more selective, more competitive programs do require letters of recommendation. So if you can get organized, I think you're going to find a lot of success with that. And, you know, I would encourage you to think about a recommender who, um, can really advocate for you the the good and the bad parts right like we life happens and not everyone's life is on a cookie cutter platform of you know this i earned straight a's all throughout high school you know maybe you you were challenged in a math class and your grades don't reflect the effort that you put in um that's a great recommender to have you know to explain a extenuating circumstance on your behalf um on your support that that's great uh you know I probably wouldn't read 10 applications. I might actually, although actually, I might just, if you went through the effort to get 10 recommendations for an application, I might read them all. But um, one to two is probably like the sweet spot, I think, for many schools.
3: All right.
0: All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, next question. So many students feel a great deal of pressure to choose a major. Is it important for them to know what major they want to study? Um, is there a benefit to dec- to declaring a major from the start rather than entering undecided? And how easy is it to switch majors?
3: Multi layered. I'll I'll start. The answer to almost every question about college admissions is it depends, and this is a classic it depends answer because. The Brady Bunch boxes on this screen, we might all give a different answer to that. So at Middlebury and at your typical sort of small liberal arts college, most students are not applying directly into a major. Um, I, we really kind of don't even care what you think you want to major in. Research shows that students will often change halfway through anyway. But certainly there are other other schools on this call and and across the world where that is very much not the case.
2: And I would chime in on the other end of that spectrum, wherein uh, at the University of Vermont, you you know, UVM is made up of seven schools or colleges um, that that fall under the umbrella of the University of Vermont. And students do need to apply to one of those seven schools and colleges. And five of the seven, you can be undeclared. So you you can know you want engineering, but you don't know which type of engineering. um, But you do need to select one of those schools and colleges. And um, you know, a lot of it has to do with the different types of um, uh, preparatory coursework you need to have taken in high school to, to major in, in these individual schools and colleges. So using engineering engineering as an example, we're going to have heightened math and science requirements for that major versus something in our liberal arts college. Um, but I, I would mention that students are not um, married to that throughout their entire career so that you can switch from one school or college to another um, you know, you can major in one school or college and minor in another. Um, so you do have a fr- you know, the freedom to move around. But the, the, the university is, is an institution in which you do have to pick one of those schools and colleges. And if you are a student who either has no idea what you want to do or you recognize that you have many interests that span a number of our schools and colleges, um, typically those students would start out as undeclared in our liberal arts college and then through advising and experience select uh, an academic path once they're at the university.
3: I don't see anybody unmuting so we're going to move on. This is the next
1: question we sent the we sent our our guests a list of the questions that we might be pulling from and even though there's a a rather lengthy school counselor podcast where I talk to Moses and Sam and uh, Mr. Kennedy and uh, and others I I think we have to go into the world of test optional I see Sam nodding his head. Everybody's nodding their heads. Um, can can somebody on the panel define what test optional means, please? And then because there's multiple parts to this question. We'll tackle we'll, we'll tackle them one one by one.
5: I'm gonna call on somebody. Test optional means test optional. It means truly that. You know, if a school is test optional, um, it, in most cases, it means that you have the option to either submit standardized tests or omit them. And it's not going to affect your admission or your candidacy for admission one way or another because it is an, an optional um Portion of the application. Now, in some cases, some scholarships require test scores, or some programs within a test optional institution might require test scores. I'll give you an example. Um, For most programs, At my institution, Vermont State University, we are test optional and you do not need to submit any form of test scores, Um, but for our nursing and our allied health programs, uh, you need to take the Accuplacer, and that is just so that we can make sure that you have the solid foundation in math and in English um, to be successful in our accelerated programs or our more competitive programs so um, Again, if you're organized with your application um, portfolio, you'll know which schools are test optional and which ones are not. Um, I think because of the pandemic, many of us shifted to test optional um, and have enjoyed that. And our applicants have enjoyed that as well.
1: Can somebody define or bring some clarity to the holistic to the terms holistic review process because I I think though that test optional and holistic review are kind of they go hand in hand, obviously, but I think sometimes families and students are they're unclear what what all happens.
3: I ask three questions. Um, who are you right now? Who are you in the process of becoming? And how, why, how might we help you get there? And the number of, if I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me a very specific question, I could retire a millionaire, right? What, what, you know, do I take AP chemistry or non-AP chemistry? And will that get me in? And how many hours of community service should I do? Is it 15 or is it 18? There is no one thing in a holistic review of an application that makes us say, yes, or that makes us say, no way. It is an overall sense, who are you? What makes you tick? What are your academic accomplishments? What are the classes that you've taken And in, in terms of the rigor available to you? And how much of that have you, have you opted into? Who are you in your community? Who are you in your family, in your town? Um, what is it that you're looking to do? What gets you up in the morning? What makes you angry? What frustrates you? Are you? Are you gonna make us laugh? If you're if you're our roommate or do you have a story that we need to understand? So holistic admissions really is it for it's just a get to know you exercise. Who are you? And so, um, you know, there are straight A students with perfect numbers who submit scores and their perfect scores. And they don't do that much outside of their academics. And they write essays that, frankly, are kind of dull. And those students might not get into their top choice colleges and the most selective colleges, and they're not going to know why, because they're going to say, I don't understand. My numbers are through the roof. Holistic admissions is, if your numbers are through the roof, you still have to be a really interesting person, engaged in your community, with teachers who say cool things about you, and an essay that makes us pay attention. Holistic admissions is, I have a couple of Bs. Does that keep me out of the most selective schools? No. Because maybe that essay makes me think or makes me cry, or maybe you're the mover and the shaker in your town or your community. Um, I could go on and on for days about this. But in a nutshell, that's the idea, right? Who are you when you add all the pieces together and then then on top of that, is that a good fit for our particular institution and, and what we do?
0: Thank you. And, and going back to just whether to send scores or not, or making that decision when students have scores in front of them, they, they, they have the option at CBU, they have the option to take the SAT here at our school in the spring, and then they can choose to take it again. Um, but then they get their scores and often questions in our offices, we get, well, are these good enough to send, um, you know, and looking. So we, we, we look at the average accepted scores at, um, each school, um, when we talk to students, but we've definitely noticed, especially this year, um, these scores have seemed inflated, especially after COVID, because it seems that students with um, higher test scores are, are submitting, and then kind of that number seems to keep rising. So even so, um, I guess, can you speak a little bit about that? And what would be you know how students could make that decision whether or not to send I think
5: kind of to speak to that and to relate it to Sam's point, you know, the students that are submitting test scores often feel like that's a really shining star or shining point of their application. You know, if they're really high, I did really well on a test. I want to let that college or university know that. Um, And students who don't maybe test well are going to be a little bit more conservative with where they're sending scores to. And so I think, to, to your point, Sarah, that definitely test scores have changed, you know, and they it's really understanding, you know, I think a good question to ask a college or university is how many of your students or what percentage of your applicant pool are submitting test scores, um, you know, and where do I, I find myself, um, you know, and also you know, talking to, thinking about yourself as a student, are test scores really reflective of your academic ability or does your transcript, you know, have the, um, the foundation to stand on its own? You know, is it, is it really going to enhance your application or really be a differentiating factor of your application by any means by sending test scores? Um, I always tell students who, you know, maybe had a rocky start to high school, um, you know, maybe their first, their freshman and sophomore year, they weren't even sure if they wanted to go to college. Um, you know, those types of students, I I encourage to think about taking the SAT because it might be able to show what skills you've learned that you weren't able to reflect on on your early first years of high school experience. So I think it's it's a really, it's a tough question because it's a case by case for many students. Um, you know, what when i talk to students about the sat or the act or any standardized test you know i always tell students it's a snapshot it's one day for 4 hours for 6 hours for ever, or maybe you, maybe you take it twice maybe three times at the most but like your transcript is over 4 years your letter of recommendation is from someone who spent significant amount of time with you. Your essay is really your part of the application that can really, that's in your own control and you can tell your story. So there's a lot of other factors of an application I think that are more beneficial than SAT scores. So, you know, keep that in mind when you look at averages for sure.
0: Thanks, that was really helpful.
6: Right. I would, I would add just quickly to that, um, I always tell, students that like we are test optional, but if you do decide to send your test scores, they can help you or hurt you in the college process. So it's a really good idea to be thoughtful about where you're sending the scores. Um, and if you're not sure, you can always reach out to your admissions counselor for advice um, at that you know specific college. And like, I would always be happy to chat with students if they have questions about when whether they should send their scores or not and whether it will be beneficial in our process or not.
1: So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm realizing that we we asked our guests to be here till around seven o'clock, and I'm realizing that we have already used about a half an hour of their time. Um and so I think some there are some other topics of conversation that I'd like to get their thoughts on and as a department, we watched most of the movie Anxious Nation today in our department meeting because it's students were only here for half a day. Um, and I'm curious how campuses are meeting the needs of students or trying to meet the needs of students or not able to meet the needs of students who are identifying um, as anxious and, and maybe having some mental health needs, um, how that's happening, how that's being addressed on campus.
4: I can uh, go for that one. Um, I, I think with especially COVID and since then, um, you know, students have become more open, but also have the the resources on campus to, to get help um, for uh, especially anxiety and things like that. Um, and it's really each campus is different. Um, you know, here at Champlain, we do have a counseling center and you can see that pretty much across the country right now, Um, the increase in counselors that are available to students on campus um, to speak with someone, um, you know, at all times, um, so that you have those people kind of in your corner, Um, as well as like a new thing with Champlain is, you know, we have this new program called Champ 101, which we kind of call like an extended orientation. Um, And that is a way for, students to kind of have a smoother entrance into their time at college um and for each student that is looking at you know the the perfect school for them um those are the questions and those are the things those resources that you should look towards um especially if you need it because you know the colleges have them one of the big things that i always hear from our counselors on campus is we want the students to come to us they they sometimes don't know we're here um, and that's not the best because we want the students to use those resources available to them. Um, and that's a counseling center, but it's also a whole bunch of other offices on campus on all these different college campuses across the country. So just look for what you need um, and reach out to the people who you know, you start day one, your orientation leaders, but also um, faculty and staff around campus to, to get the resources that you need to uh, you know, be in the right space.
2: you know I think what I would add uh, to Kevin's point and and to uh, emphasize it is that we, we all have these resources available and they and they range um, in the types of services that are provided. I think what is is key and this is true in a lot of different aspects of going off to college and Kevin and Kevin uh, touched on it is this idea of of being able to advocate for yourself. I think that there are a lot of students, who would benefit from uh, the breadth of services that we all offer who don't seek them out and who find themselves in a, in a precarious situation. And so, um, you know, this can happen with relation to mental health. It can be on the academic side of the house. It could be socially, um, you know, but we all as institutions recognize the importance of, of making these services available. Um, but one of the things of are going off to college uh, is that you have to recognize when you need to you need help and you have to seek these services out. Uh, and they are uh, they're everywhere on our campuses. Um, but it's really important to um, you know, to understand yourself, to understand when you need help, um, to have open dialogue uh, you know with uh, with your family and with your advisors and with your peers and and to seek those services out when they're when they're necessary and and it's something that, uh, probably all service uh, all students uh, will access at some point. So it's nothing that the students should feel ashamed about, or um, uh, should uh, worry about accessing. But it's really important that when you need help, you seek that help out. Um, I think that that's part of uh, sort of that growth that happens uh, when you go off to college.
1: And I know that I know that on the on the YouTube side. Our audience can only see the person who's speaking, but we're all nodding our heads to what Kevin and and Moses said. Is it, it the? I kind of knew that the resources were all on campus. Um, one of the things that we talk to students about is finding out what those resources are when they're doing their campus tours, so that they they enter a campus tour or they enter into that application process knowing that those schools are going to be able to meet their their needs or have the services available but that the most important thing is that they they reach out when they have need they they they're comfortable talking to Sarah or they're t- comfortable talking to myself they need to find their people on campus and reach out to them when they have when they have needs um i'm going to jump to to my personal favorite topic i think that the college essay is is a is a wonderful opportunity for students to um make a school pay attention to them and i have a couple questions Sarah and i have a couple questions that that i think kind of we'll we'll get our our guests to speak to that a little bit um and hopefully we'll get some some more humor out of out of this particular topic sam um talking to you <laughs> what is the key message to speak to in in the essay in your opinion with uh on a scale of one to ten with ten being the most important, how important is the essay?
3: I think and the I'm, essay I, is the
1: most. The 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 next question I think is is Sam the one where we talk about
3: your favorite topic. So you want, I, okay? I won't answer this one.
5: I'll save myself then for the next. <laughs> don't question. don't steal my thunder. I think it varies from institution to institution. Um, at Vermont State University, part of our application, the essay has become optional for students. Um, and for some programs, I should say. For other programs, it, it is required to, again, add some more depth to it. But in my personal opinion, every student should s- consider writing an essay and either submitting it or maybe omitting it, depending on how you, how you feel it goes. But I think it's a great exercise on self-reflection. Um, If I can, I mentioned this earlier, the essay is your one part as an applicant that's totally in your control, that you control the story, you control the narrative, and you can be as creative as you want to, or um, you can be short. Now, um, I think writing a good essay is super important. Writing a mediocre or a poorly written essay is detrimental. Um, so, you know, and now that our application essays have become a little bit of, uh, have become optional for most applicants, I've seen a lot more essays that are on all sorts of different ranges. And the students who stick out to me are the ones who clearly took their time with the essay and, and did write really well, had it proofread, really, um, took their time with it. And the students who send very short or, um, disingenuine essays, I, I just wish they had omitted it, so.
1: All right. What advice would you give students currently writing their essays? I've read some essays recently where students intentionally and uh, with a, a borderline ex- uh, appropriateness use use of the F word. Um, how would you advise students around sensitive topics. I, I think this is kind of, I saved this one for for Sam because he has a nice little anecdote that he adds. But I'm again, I think the essay is a really important topic in, or uh, part of the application, so.
3: I totally and, agree with what my friend Brandon just said about the essay being the, the main part where students, you have a voice that is purely in an, in an unadulterated way, yours. So sound like you don't sound like anybody else and don't sound like everybody else. Right. And so if you're out there and, you know, you're the number one cross-country runner at CVU and, you know, you won the big race last year against Middlebury Union. Good for you. But you know what? Every runner who's ever won a race could probably write that. So write something that only you can write. Write something that will sound like you. And if your mother and your father and your school counselor and your private college counselor and your family attorney all look at it and they try to change the words, you know, don't let them. It should sound like you. I know the difference between a 17-year-old and a 55-year-old. It's, it's glaringly obvious. I know the difference between a young person's voice and a computer's voice. And so, you know, make it yours, have a voice, be distinctively you. Um, and I would also say, you know, if you want, if you if you need if you need to use the f word in your essay, if if you are painting a picture for me um, and somebody you know said that word to you, you're walking down the street and somebody shouts an epithet at you using that word, then maybe you can justify it. Um, otherwise, you know you don't you don't really need that kind of language, and you certainly don't need it just to make your own point about something. But I would say there's there's two things. There's content and then there's craft. The content is on some level less important than the craft because you could write me a beautiful essay if you're an equestrian. You could write me a beautiful essay about being inspired by animals, about what it feels like to be one with an animal while jumping over those jumps. You could write to me how it's going to inspire you to be a vet. You could write to me about God's majesty in creating you know, nature. Or you could write me an essay that says, Pickles the horse is my best friend. I love Pickles the horse. I don't actually have any human friends. So thank God for Pickles. I see Pickles every day after school. I don't even mind it when Pickles poops on my hands because he's just my best friend. My life would be empty without Pickles. Okay. This is a terrible essay. That doesn't mean that writing about loving horses is inherently terrible. It's where content meets craft. And ideally, your content is interesting, and your craft will let us really hear you and and see who you are and hear your voice. And if you've got both of those going, then you're, you're, you're in a good place.
1: And again, students are going to have an opportunity to marry content and craft in their writing composition or practical writing classes here at school. So I find sitting in my desk, Sarah finds sitting in hers, that the students who really take that unit seriously walk into the application process with a really dynamic essay that does all of the things, Brandon and Sam and anybody else would add to the conversation. All right, we've got 10 minutes or so left and and Gary, our our tech, we couldn't do this without Gary. Sam, you touched on this a little bit. he's wondering about the can you identify the use of ai in letters or in um in essays anybody moses maybe
2: yeah i mean i think sam um you know touched on it and i think it goes back to this idea that that what the essay provides you with is an opportunity to add your voice to your application and i think that uh, the the best way to do that is to be authentic, and I think that uh, a lack of authenticity oftentimes will come through in an essay. That's particularly true if it's if it's um, you know being uh, AI generated. Um, and and so what I tell students is um, you know can, can we identify it? Sure, sometimes, um, and, and perhaps sometimes we cannot. But um, what you have done is you've lost a a, a significant opportunity. Um, by not adding your authentic voice to your application. And so if you're going to try to take that shortcut, you are taking the risks that we're going to identify it uh, and hold it against you in our process. But I think more importantly, you've missed an opportunity. Um, and it's the opportunity that we have provided for you um, to really benefit your candidacy. Um, and so what I say with 100% certainty, we're always going to identify an AI-generated uh, essay. No, we're not. Um, But you have significantly, I think, put yourself at a disadvantage um, and taken unnecessary risk in the case that we do identify it.
0: Thank you. Um, We wanted to pull from one of the audience questions already. Um, It seems like it would uh, be a good question to ask all of you. Um, What do you think about dual enrollment courses, Um, given that um, all high school students in Vermont are um, eligible to take two dual enrollment courses free of charge? Um, what do you think about those? And um, uh, um, yeah,
5: I that's the question. I can speak to it because this is the population that I work with all the time. And I love it. I think dual enrollment is a great opportunity. And it's a, it, I like how you mentioned, Sarah, that every Vermonter has the opportunity to do it. Now, is it right for every single Vermonter? Probably not. Um, you know, to be honest with you, it is a it is dipping your toes. Um, dual enrollment is great because it's dipping your toes in a very controlled way into the college experience. You know, you're not biting off a whole semester's worth of curriculum. Um, you're challenging yourself academically, or maybe you're taking a class that you have a little bit of extra interest in um, and you're getting a feel for what it's like. So I think it's a great opportunity. Now, I think, you know, all of my colleagues here on the call will, you um, you know, we all probably look at dual enrollment credit a little bit differently. So, you know, if you're thinking about dual enrollment, what I would encourage you to do, in addition to exploring, is it a the right option for me personally, you know, am I going to be successful in taking this class, whether it's, you know, anatomy and physiology so that I can get that foundation into to pre-health or nursing? Um, or is it a ceramics class? Because I've always loved pottery and my high school doesn't offer ceramics. Um, but making sure that you can complete the course to the best of your ability. Um, but then also asking maybe some institutions that you have interest in how they view dual enrollment. Some colleges and universities will welcome that credit. Um, Some will have certain thresholds that you'll need to meet to make sure that you can transfer that credit in. And other colleges and universities might say, you know what, we'd rather see you take AP because AP is standard across the board. And so, you know, all of those answers, I think, are really valid, and I think they're they're fair answers um, to receive. But I think it as a student who's going to do dual enrollment, you should you should know about those answers and hear from your schools. But definitely think about it. You know, one thing I I always encourage students, one last point about dual enrollment is that you can take a wide, wide range of dual enrollment classes. Oftentimes students think about stereotypical dual enrollment as I have to take anatomy and physiology or I have to take English comp because I'm going to need to take that class to graduate in my degree. And, you know, it's going to save me money in the long run. And it might in some cases if you're really, really strategic. But in most cases, if you are truly just taking those two using your two state dual enrollment vouchers, you're likely not going to graduate early. So take a class that you're interested in and that you actually want to take. Don't just take that class that's going to fulfill a graduation requirement for a program you might go into because life can change so you know think about taking classes that are actually fun for yourself
0: thank you all right i'm going to move on to in the next question um so we this is the first time we've actually asked this question um on our panel here um burlington and other communities have all seen an uptick in violence and seen images that are upsetting what are your campuses doing to work with communities to make sure students are safe
2: well being um i think the the well champlain kevin you can also speak to the specific to the burlington community but i you know the university uh has uh its own police force that uh coordinates with uh burlington police um to ensure that our students are safe we have the the uh, cat safe app uh, this is an app that uh, sort of piggybacks on the blue light system that you've probably seen at many campuses that uh, students can use um, in addition to um, indicating when they are, are in danger uh, has neat features where um, you know their roommate or their parent from anywhere in the world with an internet connection can can watch them walk from class to class or from um, downtown back to campus or, or what have you um, and so there's a, I think, a real partnership with regard to student safety um, between the university and the city of Burlington. Um, uh, you know, recognizing um, that you know we want all of our students to be safe, both those students who live on campus residentially, uh, but also students who live in the Burlington community. And the UVM uh, police force, um, you know, does patrol the downtown areas where students are most often. Uh, living and and things of that nature. Um, And and then again, I think it's about providing uh, resources on campus uh, to help students make smart decisions uh, about, um, you know, what they do to ensure that they're putting themselves in situations where um, they can expect a safe outcome. So um, I I really think of it as a a partnership, um, both with uh, significant resources dedicated uh, on campus. Um, but then also that coordination with the city with regard to safety.
1: All right, a couple more audience questions before I let you all author your final comments of the evening. I'm curious, quick round Robin-ish, what percentage of Vermont students attend your institutions?
3: At Middlebury, I think it's about five. We would love it to be higher. If you live in Vermont, and you want to, you know, have a great going away to college experience, you don't actually have to go away. You could just make an agreement with your parents that they won't show up here unannounced and, you know, embarrass you in front of your friends. Uh, You you know, you can make some agreements. Don't discount. Look, Vermont has the highest per capita amount of education in this country. Um, Vermont was the place in this country where public education was actually invented. So, Vermont is an education state. Don't discount a school just because it happens to be close by. You might be missing out on a great opportunity.
5: At Vermont State University, we're probably 65 percent Vermont students. So, um, you know, we are really focused in Vermont and serving Vermont students. Uh, That's that's a huge part of our mission um, to provide uh, affordable Accessible education all throughout the state. And we like to say we are Vermont. We have five residential campuses in all the corners of the state from Southern Vermont, where I'm located, to the Northeast Kingdom, um, to, you know, we have learning sites all over. So um, we are just about, we are Vermont. <laughs> so we have a lot of Vermonters that attend.
1: Moses, I know you all just had your EA and ED kind of acceptance period. How many Vermont students in that pool?
2: Yeah. You know, it's funny. Sam mentioned per capita. uh, Vermont's a small state. So uh, Vermonters only make up 7% of our, uh, of our applicant pool. There's only 5,000 high school seniors in the entire state of Vermont. uh, And only half of them are going to go on to college. So there's only about 2,500 college bound seniors in the entire state of Vermont. Uh, 20% of all college Uh, Enrolled Vermonters attend the University of Vermont. Overall, 35% of our student body uh, are resident students. Um, But to Sam's point, you know, for those of you who are looking to go to college, um, you know, very much encourage you to look at uh, schools within uh, the state of Vermont. I also speak to those of you uh, in the audience who are maybe be uh, considering foregoing higher education, I think that that is one of the interesting things about Vermont is we boast one of the highest high school graduation rates in the country and among the very lowest college bound rates uh, in the country. So about half of our high school uh, graduates are not going to pursue higher education. And so um, that's the audience that I uh, want to speak to and, and very much encourage you to look at any of the fine institutions um, uh, that are on this call, but that are throughout the state. Uh, and really try to pursue uh, that secondary credential whether that be at a four-year institution uh, trade school or otherwise
1: i want I want to skip to some more audience questions really quick Sam, this one is really quick and it applies to specifically to Middlebury um what
3: division is Middlebury baseball? three all sports are division three at Middlebury yeah. except for squash and skiing because there is no d three in those
1: there's a there's a audience member who has a question about letters of rec from alumni of institutions who know that particular child well. It says, what about letters of rec from alumni who who know your child well?
6: We accept those. Yeah. um, If they, if there's an alum that wants to speak to um, characters and qualities of the student. Yeah, absolutely. We'll welcome those.
1: Are they, are they, Rated more highly because it's an alumni who's been on the campus, knows what the expectations are, and can kind of put the situation in that environment. Or is it a letter of rec is a letter of rec? It's a lot of
6: yeah. I think uh, I think there there isn't an 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 additional layer of you know they know the school and they know the environment and they know you know maybe if the the student will be a good fit or not. Um, But I mean also a letter of rec is a letter of rec it's another um another you know few paragraphs that is talking to the 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 qualities that the student yep. has that may or, that might make them a good fit for our school
1: okay um international students do they need to take
3: the toefl our rule on that is if an international citizen has received a high school education in english then they do not need to take the toefl if the international student has received an education in a language other than english than they do but okay. if you're an internet i mean you, you're not going to have any I don't, I don't maybe you have this scenario on your call. So like somebody who grew up abroad or is an international citizen but is going to cvu then no or you know an international citizen at a boarding school in america no but if you're if you're french and went to school in france and you speak french at school then yes Yeah,
1: we often have uh, some of our exchange students want to stay in the U.S. and go to school. Um, Is there an advantage to applying uh, ED or EA?
0: Meaning early decision or early action?
4: Um, Well, I'll go. We have ED um, at Champlain College. I really recommend it for students that have specific major that they're really interested in especially our most competitive majors um, specifically game design Um, you know those those are the ones that fill up and those are the ones that you know students want to be kind of first in line to get those spaces Um, there's always advantages to ed Um, so you know just look at the school you need to make sure that that's that's a place that You can see yourself going um, because it is it is a binding agreement at most most colleges.
3: Yeah, I would, you know, if you really like somebody, would you rather have them ask you on a random hookup or would you rather have them ask you for their hand for your hand in marriage? That's ED, right? If you love a school, early decision is the marriage proposal. I love you. I've seen all the others and you are the one for me. And a binding early decision agreement is the way that you communicate that to a college. And so, yes, it can be to your advantage. Um, early action has less, less skin in the game. Uh, maybe Moses can speak to early action. Cause I know UVM does a lot of business in that realm. That's not binding, but can still be uh, a wonderful option too.
2: Yeah. Not much, not much to add. I, you know, the same thing, early decision at UVM, you're going to have a slight advantage. Um, because of that commitment that you're making up front, early action are for those students who um, you know want to receive early notification of a decision. Uh, and it is outside of of that binding arrangement. So um, you know, I think uh, as it was said, early decision is a commitment. It has to be something where you know that a school is going to be a, a, not only a good fit for you academically and socially, but financially. Um for those students who want to make that commitment, it is a great option. There is a you know a bit of a thumb on the scale, if you will, but um you know the majority of Vermonters are going to apply to the University of Vermont early action, receive that early notification in December and make their decision by May 1st.
1: All right. I'm recognizing that we're a couple minutes over, which I'm I'm grateful for everybody's time. Um any parting comments that you all have, things that we did questions we didn't ask that you think are have important information that people need to know um wait we have one question from the audience uh do schools typically grant less merit money if applying for ed moses is shaking his head we can't hear head shaking but yes shaking uh, his sorry. Head. No. uh
2: no the students would be um the parameters for both merit and need-based need-based financial aid do not change um, based on application type.
3: And Sam is agreeing. Everybody's agreeing. All right. Um, and we and we, for well, you bring up something important, Russ. So super quick, you mentioned merit aid. If you're out there, make sure you all know the differences in financial aid options. Middlebury, for example, does not give merit aid. We give only need-based aid and we meet the full need of every student who comes to Middlebury. This is very different than merit aid. It's very different from schools that do not commit to meeting full aid. So we don't have time for that now, but definitely go out there and start Googling terms about need blind versus need aware admission. What is merit aid? How does that differ from need-based aid? Um, Familiarize yourself with all that vocabulary because it's super important as you think about the financial piece.
1: And there are... um... There was a college uh, financial aid night with Naomi and Carrie Harlow from VSAC that should have a link on on uh, the CVU events uh, tab for for these YouTube presentations. Uh, and there was a lot of information in there about financial aid. And if you have questions about financial aid, I regularly refer my families to vsac i think it's a it's a it's the place to go for accurate timely information about the financial aid process and they're there to help vermonters um so any parting comments thoughts words of wisdom more more pros from about pickles the horse (laughs) From our panelists tonight, before we thank you and sign off for the evening,
6: um, I will chime in with, um, the college search process is a is a really important process. If if this is the direction you you think you're going, it there's a lot of options and it can seem very overwhelming, um, perhaps at first, but just take it day by day and step by step. And eventually, you know, once you submit applications, get decisions back, um, you will eventually end up at a college um, and you will get there. So just trust the process, talk to people, your guidance counselors, your parents, um, talk through the process um, because that, you know, lean on your support system because that's what's going to going to get you through this and we as admissions counselors are here to help ease some of those anxieties throughout this process so you can call us email us with questions there are no dumb questions in this process it's it's our job to help um clarify things and and demystify um college and 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 the process for you so reach out to us lean on your support um and, you know, we're happy to happy to help wh- wherever we can.
1: Any other thoughts from the collective here?
3: I feel like I've talked too much tonight for that. I apologize. Never say but, it. I do it, but I do have something I want to say. And that is, this is supposed to be fun. Yep. Have fun. This is your life and it's your future. And I know it's stressful. And oh my goodness, do I say... Se- submit my tests and all that stuff. At the bottom line, right, this is a process that is not about us. And it is not about trying to please us or figuring out what we want. This is a process about you and what you need and where you're going. And every tour you take is going to be different. And every college has a different personality and might might fit you in a different way. So go into it open-minded, have a lot of fun, and look at it as matchmaking rather than oh my goodness, I have to convince them that I am the person I think they want me to be. It's not about that. Um, have a good time. Get to know lots of different schools. And believe it or not, this can be quite a bit of fun. I'm
1: glad I'm not the only one who thinks it's fun. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. I recognize that yesterday's weather events left some of you without power. So I'm grateful you found ways to still be with us tonight. Um, I'm, apparently Darla slept through the night or the the presentation so maybe you'll be up all night because she slept through this so thank you guys I appreciate it and uh we'll talk to you next year
0: thanks everyone see you guys have a good night
1: bye